Hey guys, how you doing today? Can I get you started with something to drink? Is your aging loved one home alone, forgetting to take medicine or pay bills? The Caregiver Cafe with Roz Jones has a menu of resources to serve your caregiver needs. As a caregiver, Roz understands your daily challenges. This podcast focuses on the unique and dynamic issues of caregiving. Welcome back to the Caregiver Cafe. I am always excited when you all come back to dine at the cafe. And every time you all come back, I bring you something really great to to serve you and for you to be able to whet your appetite on information that you can use as a caregiver. And, you know, I, I, I don't do the, the typical <coughs> caregiving uh, podcast. I try to dig deep and get information that's going to help you think and help you grow and help you experience and have a better journey as a caregiver and understand your journey. And with that being said, Today we have an awesome, uh, he's a new father, he's a new father of of a beautiful baby. Oh my God, that baby is beautiful. And uh, Dr. Jacob Kendall is our guest today. And uh, Dr. Jacob, I would like for you to go ahead and introduce yourself. Yes, thanks very much for having me on here. Um, glad, glad to be on here with you. Yes, I'm Jacob Kendall. And I am, I'm from Alabama. I've lived in, in uh, Louisiana, Indiana, and Georgia, but I'm, I'm now back in Alabama, living across the bay from Mobile. And I was, uh, before I pursued, uh, you know, my, some entrepreneurial interests in the small business life, I was a professor of social work and then global health. And I have the most important aspect of, to me of my background is that it's interdisciplinary. Um, I'm not sure how long you wanted me to go, but it, yeah, I, I but background in social work, public health, gerontology, demography. Uh, I really like uh, finding where these different topics and disciplines intersect with one another. Dr. Jacob has a very interesting background. He's being bashful. Let me say that. <laughs> He's really being bashful because, and, and, and I want to make sure I'm saying it right. He does the study, and I want, I want to, if I'm saying it incorrectly, uh-oh, sorry. Uh, I want to say it correctly epidemiological am i saying is it close so yeah i I taught epidemiology at the undergrad level okay and i've I've used some epidemiological principles in my in my work yes and so what when i saw him on linkedin that intrigued me because it's talking about patterns it's talking about patterns in the life cycle patterns in death patterns in uh fertility and then I want to connect that with caregiving and I want us to understand how the patterns in life impacts either either how long we live or how short we live so um, you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely it's interesting with epidemiology it started out as a field that looked at uh, study patterns of infectious diseases mm-hmm. and that's that's probably still how a lot of people associated in their minds when they hear that term if they you know if they have any familiarity with it it's likely to be thinking of it, it, infectious diseases and pandemics and i think because of covid we're going to have a lot of people going in, interested in going into public health and epidemiology epidemiology is like a branch of public health um but more recently at epidemiological methods the same kind of like statistical analysis and math that is used to study infectious disease patterns have they're being used to study other types of patterns as well, such as marriage and divorce rates, mm. which now we're getting into talking about uh, 
the you know household composition and, and the changes in families and households. And we're going through several population transitions right now. The epidemiological transition, of course, is that as a species, we used to die from infectious diseases, neonatal disorders, uh, accidents, you know, when we were hunter-gatherer societies. And as we urbanized and instead of moving around, we're living in one place. Now the predominant causes of death are chronic disease mm. because we're living longer, right? Um, and so <clears throat> that, of course, has implications for aging. And you're talking about caregiving. Now you're talking about caregiving for older adults with chronic diseases and to give just one specific example of, you know, what that might look like, and I'm sure a lot of listeners here can relate to this, um, the, the caregiver burden of mm-hmm. older adults with chronic disease is enormous. And I think that we we can't just look at the health of the older adults themselves. We need to be looking at the health of the caregivers and the, and the loved ones. And, for, for example, the, the mor- morbidity and mortality burden for caregivers of loved ones who have dementia is greater than the burden on caregivers of, of loved ones with some other kind of chronic disease. So that's just kind of one way of looking mm-hmm. at it. Um, but, but another transition that we're going through at the same time as um, population aging, as the epidemiological transition is more and more of the population is living in cities. Um, it's much easier to migrate and move around. All of these have implications for caregiving. And we're also going through a family and household transition in which the types of households that we have are diversifying. That's basically what that means. Um, with grandparents living with grandchildren mm-hmm. um, and, you know, multi-generational houses basically. And with people, um, I, I even think that there's a, a, an even newer dimension to this with uh, it's called, I, I've most commonly seen it called, um, caring at a distance, which basically mm-hmm. means that if the working age adult children and their families move away from their older adult parents, they still have to manage a lot of their care and also communicate with them mm-hmm. with, 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 you know, improving communications technologies, FaceTime, Zoom, et cetera. Um, we're intimacy at distance. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Intimacy at a distance where we're, we, we need to really start examining. And some people have, we need to start examining um, what that looks like and what are the effects of that. And, and I've met many, many people um, who have had to manage the care for their older parents when they're living several States away. So that's known as intimacy at a distance. And anyway, epidemiological methods are being applied to these um types of topics that are not diseases it doesn't just have to be applied diseases mm. the, the math is basically the same you know the the equations or whatnot that you use and so I, it's really some interesting applications to study marriage and divorce um, how households are changing and like i said migration is, is is a part of this as well because people are moving all over the place and oftentimes that means um that working age children and their families are moving away and I want to I want to I want to uh, piggyback on that immediately because I'm so glad you said that because all of the people that I take care of, their families live long distance. Yeah. Every last one of them. And I I had one that lived out of the country. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, they had to come in every three to six months to make sure paperwork was updated, power of attorney, all of this stuff 
taxes was taken care of, um, you know, caregivers, um, you know, uh, you know, update, you know, to make sure that everything was updated and how it needed to be taken care of. Because once you leave the country, it's a little harder to maneuver everything. And and so and so now it used to be where people didn't leave. Like you said, they didn't leave the town. They stayed in the town where their parents were. But now because of opportunities and everything else, people aren't staying in town. A lot of them are leaving. But the caveat to that, Doc, is that I have seen some children who have moved back, have had to move back. So I don't, you know, as as a part of that study, I'm I'm assuming that they also not only do the long distance, the, the, you know, the intimacy at a, at a distance, but also too when they have to move back, and that's what I think about when you say the family household transition. I think about the sandwich generation, mm-hmm. the the baby boomers who are taking care of parents now, who are in, I mean, baby boomers are in their 60s, but their parents could be in their 90s or or 100s. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and even I've, I've even known people who are in their seventies caring for parents in their nineties or one hundreds, and you have older adults caring for other older adults. But but you bring up an int- it is an interesting caveat because if you just look up the term migration, there are many resources that define migration as moving from one country to another, which completely uh, neglects internal migration, people moving within the same country, but to different states. And in a large country like the U.S., that's incredibly relevant. We, we don't need to be missing that. And also, you, the other point that, that you bring up is, like I said, there's an overwhelming trend toward urbanization, which just means that a larger and larger percentage of the, of the world's population is living in urban areas. But there is this, there also is a migration stream of people moving back to the more rural areas in, in smaller towns where, where often these older adults are living. And so, yeah, it is a smaller area, but I mean, it's a smaller percentage compared to people who are moving to cities, but it's substantial enough that we need to be including that in our data and in our analysis, because you're right, you do have people who are moving back and we can't, we can't miss that. <laughs> well, yeah. And we can't. And then also too, even if you're moving back to the smaller towns, um, there is still not enough medical opportunities for them to be taken care of because it's harder to get doctors. It's harder to get nurses. It's harder to get CNAs. And it really does fall on the community and the family, you you know, to take care of this loved one. So, you know, so I was, I was so excited to to talk to you today because I've just been thumping at the bit (laughs) (laughs) because this is a different side of caregiving that people don't talk about. You know, they talk about, okay, you know, I have burnout, I have this, but there are reasons why you know, caregiving is evolving. You know, it, people used to be embarrassed mm-hmm. to talk about caregiving. It was, yeah. I can't talk about it. I might lose my job. If they know that I have to take my mom to the doctor, leave a lot, I won't have a job. But now caregiving is being more um, uh, um, taking into consideration by employers, you know, be, because of COVID, because they know if they let them do a hybrid work, they're more productive, they're less stressed. So are those also some of the things that you guys look at when you're doing a study? Which thing specifically? I'll make sure I'm sorry. So far as, okay, um, uh, our caregivers are now being allowed to work both at home and in, in the building. You know, they have a hybrid type uh, work environment versus to where mm-hmm. a, a while ago, you know, there was kind of taboo to talk about caregiving. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I think um, I haven't looked at that particular okay. topic as much. I will say that being someone who works from home and, and all of my work is remote, there, COVID was obviously has been, has been a game changer in that regard. And there are a lot of companies who have more recently said, okay, now you got to come back to the office. But there's there's this uh, this huge kind of uproar among a lot of people mm-hmm. are like, well, I was just as productive working at home. And the reasons that they, that people enjoy working at home or prefer to work at home are, are multitudinous. There are many, right? If you're caring for children, if you're caring for other loved ones, it's just a, a, a whole lot easier. Uh, so I think there's going to be an increasing amount of research on this because this really, in the main social media platform that I'm on is LinkedIn, just because that's the most useful one for mm-hmm. my purposes. And they're constantly, constantly post on remote work. I know this is more adjacent to the question that you're asking, but I still think it'll be interesting. I do want to mention COVID because we were already headed in this direction. Mm. It's just that COVID sped it up because people had to go home for a while. And now we have this it's a huge amount of data for a year or two of being able to analyze, okay, how was productivity during that time? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are arguing, well, productivity is, is better during that time. And I can be, I can still be just as productive for you, but do better at caring for my loved ones at home. Then why do I got to come back to the office? So it's not as, t- it's not a topic I've looked quite as much at, but I can tell you there are going to be a, there are going to be a lot of studies coming out here. And I think that COVID has um, just sent that on the fast track. Right, because you, it, it, it made that trend go faster. If that makes sense, it it does make sense. And and you said something that we were already moving towards that anyway. Yeah. So wherein the studies uh, indicated that this, um, well, they didn't know COVID was happening was going to happen. However, what were some of the trends that was going that that indicated or that sparked the um the probability of people working more from home than working in the office. Yeah. I mean, it definitely the fact that we're able to because of improvement in communications technologies mm-hmm. and, you know, you see all of these like zoom, for example, and all the, the really cool features they have to be able to conduct meetings and people were, we're just learning how to better um, do things remotely that, that 20 years ago was out of the like, there's no way we'll be able to do this remotely. Well, now people are figuring out how to do it. And if they can do it, then, you know, they, one, you're able to hire, uh, you have a wider pool of applicants for your mm. company because now you can hire them from anywhere. Right. And so that, that brings into, um, I mean, it's globalization. That's, that, that's a part of globalization. Um, and, and, I, a part of what the services that I provide are helping people improve their job application documents and, and kind of build their vocation. And it's very common for me to encounter people looking for U.S. remote work anywhere in the world. Uh, and so I, I just point that out to say we were heading in this trend, but we we're heading in this direction already because of improvements in uh, technology and communications and uh, globalization and, um, yeah, I mean, a, a variety of factors, I think, are all contributing to that, for sure. You have my head just spinning and burning. I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I know we don't have enough time. However, as, as you talked about technology, um, the family and the household, well, well, let's go back. Let's go back to family and household transition. How, you know, it used to be, you know, only dad went to work, mom stayed yeah. home. 
you know, the I Love Lucy, Leave It to Beaver, you know, those yeah. <laughs> those days are over. Those days. Well, are- it, well, it's interesting because that's usually lifted up as the traditional family, but right. that really did not even start until early 1900s. So that's not even the, the real traditional mm-hmm. family. I just want to put it in there. But yeah, yeah. And, and 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 so now now with you know uh, as as you said we talk about the the different household makeups now instead of being out of the house they're going back into the house you know like before and with that being home as a caregiver and not being in the office have we seen a reduction in stress or stress has even increased because of being at home trying to take care of a loved one and managing jobs and trying to manage children and, 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 and. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I'm always, um, I tend to be one who zooms out pretty far in both uh, looking at population trends. That's why, that's why as a social worker, I never wanted to be a clinician working with individuals because I'm so uh, up here looking mm-hmm. at a bird's eye view, but I also zoom out in terms of time. And I'm sure that there have been some, some initial, some early studies. Um, I'm not overly familiar with a lot of the results of those studies, okay. but what I'm really interested in, and let's look at these long-term impacts because mm. when you're talking about, when I mentioned earlier that morbidity and mortality burden of caregivers is higher than non-caregivers or it's higher for dementia caregivers than it is for other chronic diseases, you know, we're talking about long-term. What, what, what is the burden that it plays on them over 10, 15, 20 years, right? So I think that's what we have to keep in mind and I would encourage anyone to to keep that in mind. I mean it's been frustrating with from my perspective with COVID because people are like, well this is what it's what seems to be the case with, with COVID. So it's you know it's not a big deal and 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 you know it, whatever and I'm not gonna get into that. But my point is I think people want results really, really quickly. And they think that the early what we see early is is uh useful but there's also the longer term impact that we're just going to have to wait to see what are, what are some of the long-term effects of this? And, and I can see here and I can hypothesize about some pros and cons of working from home. Um, I, I would guess that there's going to be, <clears throat> there, there are multiple nuances here because I definitely think that there are a lot of positives about it. And I can definitely imagine that affects that that's the case with caregiving, but it also, we have to be careful um, about the fact that there are many professions that'll never be able to work remotely. Mm-hmm. And yes, that does include some of the higher end jobs like surgeons, mm-hmm. but it also includes a lot of the, what, what are considered lower end jobs like um, picking up trash, right? trash days right. and um, building you know, construction and agriculture right. and things like that. So I think we have to also examine, does this have a, uh, I'm going to get back to caregiving. That's okay. I, I know, I know I'm way up here. Um, we, we have to keep in mind that, that uh, it's really great. And this is one of the common complaints I hear is you have all these people saying, well, I, d- I do great with remote work and I, it's, it's just so much better and I'm still productive. But then you have this other crew like, well, what about all these other workers that there's no, they have no option and never have any option of working remote. Are, are we going to see, are we going to start to see an increasing gap between 
those two types of, of people. And that definitely will have an effect on their caregiving if that's the case. So I think we have to be careful and, and keep in mind that um, the benefits of basically the benefits of remote work are not available to everyone. Mm. Right. And, you know, care, the, <clears throat> caregiving is, is, is a need at all socioeconomic levels. So, um, yeah, that's, that's one thing I'll say. We do have to keep that in mind. We don't want, we don't want to increase the disparities basically. I like to, you know what? I, I'm so glad you came on today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love talking about this stuff. I, I nerd out about it. <laughs> and, and you know what? It's, it's not being nerd out is that, that you are bringing a different view to caregiving so far as, you know, just like you said, someone who's taking care of someone with Alzheimer's or, or, or dementia, it used to be they didn't live maybe over five years, maybe 10 years. Yeah. But now I I took care of a gentleman that that lived two decades. Yeah. I'm taking I'm taking care of someone now that's going into her second decade. Yeah. It's, I'm talking about I'm 13 years. That's a that's a lot of uh, that's a long time of caregiving. It's a lot of burden that's building up. A lot of stress that's building up on the body, and they may not see those results for they may not, they may not see the full impact of that for 15, 20 years, but it there will be an impact. And you know what we we have to end part one, but we're going to come back okay. on, on part two and talk about the impact, the um, uh, life expectancy, the the mortality of 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 this, even after you've taken care of someone, your body is still feeling the um, the residual. Of, of taking yeah. care of someone. So we, Ooh, I love Dr. Jacob. I love him. <laughs> he has given us some really good information about the changing patterns in population as it um, impacts caregiving. And this is so important. So um, with this, we're going to end part one and then we're going to come back with part two. Cause I know he has even more juicier information that he's, he wants to give us, but it's about educating and understanding how these patterns are going to impact not only us, but you know, uh, his son, uh, my nephews and nieces, uh, yeah. you know, the generations behind us. So we're going to talk about that in part two. So um, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Until your next visit to the Caregiver Cafe, connect with Roz on YouTube, LinkedIn, and her blog at thecaregivercafe.net. Caregiver Cafe podcast specializes in serving those who provide care and support to a sick or aging loved one. I'm the voice guy, but I'm one of you. So when Roz has on experts or frontline workers, I'm listening. We hope you've enjoyed the show. In the meantime, don't forget to connect with Roz on YouTube, LinkedIn, or at the blog at thecaregivercafe.net.